This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blessed Be Magic, a jewelry brand committed to reminding you of your magic by creating modern and subtle everyday talismans. Are you looking for witchy jewelry you can wear everywhere? Their gorgeous and lightweight bracelets, cuffs, and rings for the modern witch are beautifully subtle and can be worn daily for all occasions. I particularly love their new talisman rope bracelets, which are enchanting and fashionable in equal measure. Get yours today at Blessed Be Magic, that's magic with a K, and use code WITCHWAVE, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's www.blessedbemagic.com and use code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. Blessed Be. I'm very excited to share the news that we finally have Witch Wave merch. Yes, we have the official Witch Wave tote bag, which says witches are the future on it. We have gorgeous, glittery witches are the future enamel pins. And we also have signed books by me, both Waking the Witch and What is a Witch? So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com com slash shop and get your official Witch Wave merch today. It's a great way to support the show and it's a great way to share your love of magic and witchcraft with the world. The world is filled with bewitching people and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. It's December, and the days are getting shorter here in the Northern Hemisphere as we make our way toward winter solstice, the longest night of the year. It's gotten me thinking a lot about the many stories we tell where a protagonist descends into the darkness and how this is a necessary component of what mythologist Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey. Now, Campbell's writing has had an enormous influence on my life, but he did have some pretty big blind spots. Perhaps the biggest was his focus on mostly male figures. And he's not wrong. There are so many dazzling dudes from Osiris to Odysseus to Jesus to Frodo who go on adventures where they have to make their way through the darkness, whether via a literal death and rebirth or a metaphorical one. These stories are powerful ones to be sure, but fellows are certainly not the only ones who heroically traverse the shadow lands. 
fairy tale heroines from Little Red Riding Hood to Vasilisa bravely trek through dark forests. The Greek goddess Persephone is abducted into Hades, but she ends up being able to resurface periodically and bring spring back to the land. Perhaps the oldest female deity in recorded history, the Sumerian goddess Inanna, is the protagonist of a story where she descends into the underworld, which is ruled by her sister, Arashkigal. As she enters each of the seven gates to this land of death, she must remove piece after piece of her royal finery. Her crown, her lapis beads, her gold ring, her robes. Her sister says, let the holy priestess of heaven enter bowed low. And so when Inanna arrives at the throne room, she is naked and humbled. And here, her sister Ereshkigal kills her. As with the other protagonists of all genders that I've named, Inanna does not overcome this defeat alone. And her faithful handmaiden warrior puts a rescue plan that they made previously together into motion. Inanna then emerges from the underworld, swarmed by demons, and eventually trades in her no-good husband to take her place down below. Folklorist Diane Walkstein helped bring Inanna's myths to the English-speaking world in the 1980s via the book Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth, which she co-wrote with Samuel Noah Kramer. In the intro to the book, Walkstein writes, quote, in Sumerian, Inanna's name means literally Queen of Heaven, and she was called both the first daughter of the moon and the morning and evening star, the planet Venus. In addition, in Sumerian mythology, she was known as the Queen of Heaven and Earth and was responsible for the growth of plants and animals and fertility in humankind. Then, because of her journey to the underworld, she took on the powers and mysteries of death and rebirth, emerging not only as a sky or moon goddess, but as the goddess who rules over the sky, the earth, and the underworld. Here was the goddess in all her aspects. Here was my story. Unquote. In other words, Inanna is a fully integrated feminine deity. She represents the above and the below. She represents the balance of opposites. She represents a fully realized heroine who goes on a dark journey and who emerges triumphant, enlightened, and more fully evolved. The thing about a descent into the underworld is that by experiencing it, one undergoes an initiation. We start out in a state of innocence, 
But as we go along the journey, we are forced to shed our naivete, to face our inner resistance and fear, and hopefully be propelled by curiosity and maybe even some excitement. This walk through the darkness ends up being a gift, for we emerge stronger, wiser, more resilient, and hopefully more compassionate, especially toward others who also walk in the dark. On today's episode, I talk to Amanda Yates Garcia, the author of Initiated Memoir of a Witch. As you'll hear, Amanda is no stranger to the concept of descending into the underworld, and she writes about this descent so beautifully and compellingly. And as you'll also hear, the initiations of various forms that she has gone through have helped transform her into a powerful and wise witch indeed. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! A listener who calls themselves Wandering Spirit Lost Soul writes... Like you have experienced, I feel stuck and binded in corporate life. My dreams seem to be outweighed by constant politicking and BS schmoozing. As much as I love people, I find myself losing strength as this sense of awakening continues to be shadowed over narcissistic chaos that has engulfed today's society. In this world of complete chaos and disarray, how do you channel and reinforce strength for yourself? Hello, wandering spirit, lost soul. Well, I'm not sure what your job is exactly, but I don't have to know because I completely identify with the feeling of being stuck and drained by a career that I eventually outgrew. And I also can completely relate to this notion that right now the world feels as if it's a chaotic and depressing and overwhelming place sometimes. In my case, my job was one that I actually really loved for a long time, and I was able to remake it and figure out ways to infuse it with meaning and passion. But after a while, even that stopped being fulfilling for me, and I began to feel crushed by the weight of stress and frustration and dissatisfaction. I got extremely depressed and overwhelmed, and eventually even my body started suffering, which was a louder and louder signal to me that I needed to make a change. But I want to be clear about a few things. First of all, that descent into my personal underworld was a valuable one. And even though it was difficult, I'm so glad it happened. I learned so much on that journey and picked up skills and strengths that have served me as I've moved forward. Second of all, 
I didn't just up and quit my job and make my dreams come true overnight. As with all mythic journeys, it happened in stages. And it's still happening. During my early phases, I began by trying to bring more of my magic and my personal truth to my job. I started sticking my neck out more and making sure I worked on projects I believed in as often as I could. And this meant sometimes doing extra work that no one asked me for just because those projects inspired me and felt like the right thing to do. I also started expressing myself and fortifying myself spiritually when I was on the job. It was in subtle ways, such as putting a small statue of Artemis on my desk, or bringing in a bouquet of flowers to celebrate certain pagan holy days. All of these methods helped me take responsibility for my own energy and experience at work. And for several years, they allowed me to feel like I was contributing in ways that felt more aligned with my purpose. But when even those techniques weren't effective anymore, and it was clear to me that I had to make a bigger change, I did it in intentional steps. Some of it was through upping my magical practice, asking spirit for guidance, doing more frequent rituals. But some of it was super pragmatic, setting deadlines for myself and putting the pieces into place to write a book, start this podcast, and learn how to take my side projects and turn them into a small business bit by bit. And I'm still in the process of building this new chapter of my life. But spoiler alert, we are all always in process. The building and transforming never ends. So in short, my answer is first, in the immediate term, ask yourself how you can bring more magic, inspiration, and intention to your job while you're still there. Can you decorate your space with a bit more spirit? Can you work on any project or join some committee or do some volunteer work that feels a bit more loving and a bit more fun? Make whatever immediate changes you can with the parameters of your given circumstances to feel more spiritually nourished. But in the long term, Ask your guides of whatever names you choose to help you find work that is more in sync with your higher self so that you can contribute more love and creativity into the world. And be sure to honor your guides in turn with thanks and offerings because magic is a two-way street. If you do this consistently, eventually the next step will make itself clear to you. This may lead you to eventually changing careers, or it may lead you to figuring out ways to change the shape of your current job. But whatever happens, please know that you're exactly where you need to be right now in order to live the life you're truly meant to. You have to walk through the underworld in order to be set free. I wish you blessings on your journey. You can do this. Now, on to my guest. Amanda Yates Garcia is a writer, artist, 
and professional witch who is also known as the Oracle of Los Angeles. Her book, Initiated, Memoir of a Witch, has gotten glowing starred accolades from places like Publishers Weekly and Kirkus Review. And she and her work have been featured in the New York Times, the L.A. Times, The Believer, CNN, and via a viral appearance on Tucker Carlson Tonight. She has led classes and workshops on magic and witchcraft at institutions including UCLA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the Hammer Museum, and the Getty. And she's also the co-host of the beloved Strange Magic podcast. On this episode, Amanda discusses her own magical initiations, how she navigates the media as a public witch, and the ways she uses witchcraft to help transform creative blocks, personal struggles, and global challenges. Amanda joined me via Skype from her home in L.A. Amanda Yates Garcia, welcome to The Witch Wave. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled that you're here, and I'm doubly thrilled because you and I finally got to meet in person. Was it a couple weeks ago now? Uh, both in San Francisco at the Witches Confluence, and then at your book release event in LA. And I fell head over heels in love with you. So it is wonderful to get to talk to you in depth right now. Thanks for being here. Same. I was like so pleased to meet you. And that's also one of the great things about the work that we do is we get to meet the witches that we admire. So that was a real treat for me. Oh, thank you so much. So I confess that I'm feeling slightly daunted by interviewing you because there is so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, when we met in person, I felt like I could talk to you for 15,000 hours and I'm feeling that way now. So I'm going to try to skip stones and cover a lot of ground today. Are you down with that, Amanda? Yes, I'm totally down. I feel the same way. I feel like maybe we need like a witch holiday uh, on the coast of Mexico or something where we can just break it all down for hours, but we'll get as much as we can in. Absolutely. Today. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons that I'm so excited to talk to you is I think um, because in addition to having great respect for your work, I really relate to so much of it. You are not only a professional witch out in the world, you are also now an author. You have this brand new memoir out called Initiated Memoir of a Witch. And I think people don't realize that even writing a book, I, and I think especially a first book, is its own initiation. Did you feel that way yourself? You are not wrong. That is so true. I felt like it was my most profound initiation that I'd gone through because writing a book takes such sustained attention and awareness and focus and belief in oneself. And you have to keep showing up day after day after day. So it really is a prolonged 
years long spell that you're doing. So I felt like that was probably my most powerful initiation. Absolutely. And in the book, you talk about how you were also kind of breaking a curse as you were writing this book. You talk about how in your family line, there's this kind of curse of unfinished projects. So how did you push through that? How did you break that that hex or that curse through your writing? Because it's hard enough to write a book without feeling like you're cursed against being able to finish it at all. Yeah. I see curses as essentially patterns of events that don't happen to your favor. So we might say that this pattern of events of people in my family lineage writing books and then not finishing them or finishing them and not publishing them was something that went back in my family line for generations and was also something that I had done several times. So I'd written several books that I either abandoned, uh, kind of right when I got to the end or which I didn't publish for various reasons. And I was really terrified that this was going to happen again with this book. And in this case, I'd sold it on proposal. So I had a deadline and I had obligations and I would get into it and go into my writing studio in the morning and just sit there kind of in fear that nothing would come. As I'm sure you can identify with when I know that when you were writing your book, you had a really intense deadline for that. And and if something doesn't come, then it just kind of compounds your anxiety because you're like, this has to come. I need to finish this section today or I'm going to be behind. So what I ended up doing, I think, which is, you know, I talk about a lot in the book as kind of my go-to solution is really relying on the tools and the techniques of witchcraft because I would call in my allies, my guardians, you know, I'd call in Mercury and I'd call in the muses and I'd call upon my spirits and guides and I'd light incense and I'd light candles and I'd do chants to them. And by doing that, I would break the pattern of thought that was giving me this curse. And I think for my family and for me, certainly it was a pattern of self-doubt or questioning oneself. And the thing is, when you're writing, you have to be able to trust that what you're saying is true and right and good enough for that moment. And it's hard because there's always something else you could say. There's always some alternative. Unlike other artists, for instance, painters or you know sculptors who are working with the materials and are limited by the materials that they have available to them, writers could really put down anything. Oh so, my gosh, that's so true. And I never thought of it that way, but because words and thoughts are infinite, you know, we can just go on forever and ever and ever. You're absolutely right. So how did you then push through those doubts. Can you be a little more specific about a certain ritual or a certain technique that you were using to finish this book? Yeah. So I actually have an essay coming out on this in Lit Hub, I think in the next couple of days about how I called in Mercury to help me. And so what I would normally do with that was not working was I'd kind of come in and usually get distracted for a long time on the internet until I finally pulled myself away <laughs> from sure it. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. <laughs> 
until I finally pulled myself away and realized, you know, oh, I had had four hours to work and now I only have an hour. And then I would just cry and sweat and just force myself to eke out a few things. But then when I worked with Mercury, who is the god of communication, the god of healing, also psychopomp, this is one of the reasons why I chose to work with him. So psychopomp is someone who guides souls through the underworld. And the underworld is essentially where my story takes place in my book. And so I needed a guide who could help me move through this, this space where I felt like I was lost, you know, through the choices, the labyrinth of the underworld, of all the limitless choices that I could make to get myself out of there. And so I have this candle that I made, which has the picture of Mercury from the Penny Slingers Oracle deck, the Tantric Dakini Oracle deck. I pasted it mm, on. Mm. So this is an image of a caduceus, so two snakes winding up a staff. And then on the back of this candle, I took the Orphic Hymn to Mercury, which is from classical Greek. And then I found an English translation and then I rewrote it so that it felt more appropriate to me. And then every time I sat down to work, I'd light this candle and I'd light frankincense, which is Mercury's favorite incense. And I would say this prayer and I would kind of move in a rhythmic way and do this chant and do this prayer and light this candle. And then I would put on music. I made a playlist that felt really sacred to me. And by doing that, I created this sacred space. I created this boundary where I basically was saying, my self-doubt can't enter this space. The demons of my self-doubt need to say on the other side of this boundary. And so I think a lot of the time what witchcraft is doing is empowering you through the vehicle of your imagination and through the things that you're connecting yourself to in a form of sympathetic magic. And sympathetic magic is when two things are similar and are in proximity to one another or create a relationship through their similarity. So, for instance, to mend a broken heart, you might use a stone that looks like a heart, right? Because it has a relationship because of that. Exactly. Or if you want to conjure some money, you use a green candle or some leafy plant, something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're using this kind of sense of relationship and sympathy between objects and what you're trying to call in. And basically what that's doing, I think, on a neurological level, if we want to get technical about it, is rerouting the patterns of our brain or the pathways, the neurological pathways that we normally use away from what is typical for us. And so what was typical for me was this pattern of like self-doubt and anxiety that was based on this writer's curse in my family. And so I needed to kind of get off that freeway. Like I needed to take an exit and ritual helps us do that. But it also helps us break out of ruts when it comes to the way we see ourselves, when it comes to our possibilities and ideas about what kind of relationships we can have in our life or what the possibilities are for us in general. I think that's one of the reasons why ritual works. And, And I talk a lot about that in the book about how witchcraft helped me get out of a whole bunch of scrapes. (laughs) Absolutely. And before we dive into the content of the book, I just want to note that the ritual you're describing 
also engaged your writing juices because you were writing this entreaty or this petition to Mercury. And it wasn't writing for the book. You were writing for some other purpose. And I wonder if that also helped you get your creative juices flowing too. Yeah, right. It's like a writing exercise. It's like a writing warm up. And I think it also helped me to remember, you know, why I'm doing this. I think when we get caught up in self doubt, we're essentially being pulled away from our true purpose and our true work and into this milieu that's created by the status quo or created by you know, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy to say like, you're not good enough to fit into our system or you need to work harder. You need to be more disciplined. You need to make yourself conform to our system. And right now you're not holding up. When I use the techniques of witchcraft or start aligning myself instead with other gods besides the god, we might say, of patriarchy or capitalism that is kind of always this mean dad in our head. (laughs) So finding other ways around that, listening to other voices, listening to the voice of my intuition and remembering what is sacred to me, remembering what I love, remembering what I honor, that is what guides us out of the underworld for me anyway. That's what leads me out is when I start turning towards what I love instead of Um, running away from what I fear. Yes, I am nodding so vigorously right now. And I think it also is about focusing away from ego and the self and turning work into an offering. And it's plugging into something that's so much bigger than just you or just me or just are people going to like this? It's like, all right, I'm doing this for the purpose of love and connection and to be in service of something greater than oneself. So I want to talk about this underworld journey or this series of underworld journeys that you go on in the book. Initiated is it's subtitled Memoir of a Witch. This is very much an autobiography. And yet it's so much more than simply you know, you being Amanda and you were a kid and then you were an adult and ABCD woven throughout it. You're also talking about how you develop as an artist and as a witch. And in doing so, you're drawing upon all of these different symbols and magical techniques. And I love this because not only are you telling us the story of your life, but you're also teaching us how to do magic, albeit not in a witchcraft 101 way. Can you talk a little about how you wove together those two intentions for the memoir? The intention of sort of telling my story and also describing how to create magic in one's life, you mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, initially when I set out to write this book, I had two different things that I was thinking of doing. One was kind of a book of poetry and and spells, which is like the book of my heart, which I do still hope one day to write. And the other was a how-to book based on what my clients kind of had asked for me and and wanted for me about like how to do magic and you know my vision about that that every time I sat down to write it the memoir would kind of come rushing into the room 
on her her winged sandals. <laughs> and so I just had to put the memoir in there. But then also it was a response to feeling like there are a lot of really great books out there already about Witchcraft 101, like this is what Lama says, or this is how to bless an ointment or something. And I felt like one of the things that wasn't really being addressed in witch literature was a the why of it, like like why are we doing all of this? Why do we care so much about this? And then also, I really wanted to wrestle with it on a really real and authentic way because in my own life, you know, I was raised a witch, I was brought up in a witch family, but that doesn't mean I just accepted everything about witchcraft as real and true. It's something that I I grapple with and wrestle with because of the culture that I was brought up in. And so I wanted to write a book that was really honest about the way that I integrated witchcraft into my life and why it's meant so much to me and to show the ways that it affected me in my relationships or financially, you know, because I think that there's this idea of the witch as this powerful figure who's able to bend and shape reality in order to get what she wants or to achieve her vision in the world. And yet most of us experience a world where we don't always get what we want and things are challenging for us. And we're dealing with all these external forces that are really hard to grapple with. And so there's a sense of cognitive dissonance there. If witchcraft is real and if witchcraft works, then why are all witches not happy and powerful and rich and in love all the time? Mm. So if it can't get us that when we want it, why are we doing it? And so the book really addresses about how it's not just about getting what you want, because that is a value that has been given to us by capitalist patriarchy. Instead, it's about finding beauty and power in what you're doing. It's about falling in love with your life. It's about a a kind of relationship that you develop with your life that empowers you and inspires you and makes you see the magic in the world around you and able to interact with it and, and create that with other people who are also interested in doing the same thing. When I was thinking about how I could be of service, the service that I had to offer was showing how witchcraft has helped me through the real struggles in my life and how it's so much more than what is talked about in the media about, oh, how millennial witches like to have crystals and burn sage and light candles. And it's really about the fundamental questions of our life, about life and death and love and power and our sense of agency and our belief systems, our relationship with our world. And that's why we're interested in it. And so that's what I wanted to grapple with. 100%. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, honey, a package arrived for you. It's gigantic. What's in it? Hooray! It's my Mithras candles. That's a lot of candles. Um, have you seen them? Mithras candles' signature dripped pillars look like they've been crafted for a wizard's secret library. Right, but... They look like they've been harvested from a magical cave of wax stalactites. Yes, but I... And their natural honey scent makes me feel so calm. You want me to feel calm, don't you? 
they're they're lovely, but how many do you really need? Well, there are also now Mithras candle votives, pyramids, and tapers with so many different shapes and sizes. I can use them on my altar, in rituals, in our living room, on the dining room table, in the bath. Plus, they make the best gifts. Amy, we live in a two-bedroom apartment. Yes, but we're supporting a sweet small business. Remember, Mithras candles are handcrafted from the purest golden cappings beeswax by the loveliest folks in Philadelphia. Well, I was made in Philadelphia, too. Synchronicity, Matt. See, I'm glowing just thinking about it. Okay, well, giant boxes of Mithras candles being carried up the stairs it is. And if you did want to get me some more candles, just go to MithrasCandle.com and use offer code WITCH to get 10% off. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 10% off. Got it. Offer code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com. Just pretend to be surprised. We never had this conversation. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Amanda Yates Garcia. So Amanda, we're talking about the use of witchcraft, the value that witchcraft has. And of course, a lot of its value does come from the fact that as you and I both believe, it engages with shadow and darkness and pain as much as it engages with love and light and conjuring all the things that we might want to wish for. Your book really takes us through a lot of times in your own life when you are suffering or when you're having some kind of a psychic break or spiritual break. And you share a lot of painful things, not only painful relationships, but there are stories of abuse. There are stories of really dancing quite literally with the dark side. And I wondered if you had any nervousness about being so vulnerable publicly and also just nervousness about delving into these shadowy moments of your life and revisiting them with your writing. Though there is a lot of pain, torment, suffering stuff in the book, I really see it as a triumphant book and a book that is about finding our way through that. You know, the I really wrote it because I wanted to help people see how witchcraft can help you find a way to heal from and understand those uh, painful experiences. And I really see the witch as a person who takes responsibility for her own feeling and experience, even though, of course, we're not responsible for the trauma that we've suffered. But for me, it empowered me to say, okay, well, I've experienced this. Now, what do I want to do? And how can I heal from this? And like the mythological figures that I call in, like Medusa or the Morgan or the Ariadne, uh, all these figures that witches talk about all the time and how in these places, these underworld corridors, that they came and brought me their fire. You know, we really live in a world where there is this legacy of deep trauma and we can't just ignore that because when we ignore that, we're really doing a disservice to all of those who have come before us and suffered through those things. But that 
we can, as witches, transform that pain into something beautiful, into something vital, into something rich, and that it doesn't have to destroy us, that we don't have to be at the mercy of the the forces that are coming to assault us, that we have tools, that we have tools that we've been developing over thousands of years and that we can connect to them. So that was one of the most empowering things about writing the book is taking moments that were really hard for me to experience and they may be hard for me to relive and then finding a way to make them beautiful. And I mean, not to to say that like, you know, suffering through abuse or whatever is beautiful, but the strength that I was able to connect to based on the sort of shoulders of the giants that I would been standing on, you know, other women and feminine identifying people who've been through similar things, that that gave me a lot of strength and a lot of courage and, and a lot of inspiration because it made me feel like we can heal this world. Like we can find our pathway through all the challenges that we are currently facing. Absolutely. I want to talk a little though about the fact that even though your mom was a witch or does she still identify as a witch? Is she still with us? Yeah, she's still with us. She still identifies as a witch. I mean, she's very quiet in her witchcraft. Most of it involves working in her garden and, you know, a lot of women that she was practicing with when I was younger have either passed away or have moved away. So her coven doesn't meet as regularly as it used to, but it's still an important part of her life. Right. And I love how you describe being her daughter and being raised in this tradition. I understand she's coming from reclaiming tradition, which Mm. um, is out of San Francisco Bay Area, thanks to people like Starhawk, who's a name that has come up many, many times on the podcast, and is often oriented around goddess worship and really amplifying the feminine current. But I thought it was so interesting that, you know, you went through beautiful rituals when you were a child. Am I remembering this right? The ritual of the roses? The rite of roses, yeah. Yes, the rite of roses. Thank you. Which sounds like a gorgeous initiation of, of you coming into being, I, I suppose, a young woman or a young witch. Having said all that, you do kind of like all of us go through making, I don't even know if mistakes is the right word, but but your magic wasn't always strong and clear and crisp as it is now. We all have to hone our skills and our gifts. And just because you were born to this witchy mom and were raised in witchcraft, you still had to learn how to make your own magic. And I really appreciate in the book when you talk about your experimentation with magic and the times that it surprised you or the times I'm thinking, for example, there's a moment in the book where you're working in Amsterdam and you're freezing cold and you need an apartment. And so you do a spell and lickety split, you get this new apartment, but the apartment is 
brutally cold <laughs> and I think you're like covering yourself in blankets and mattresses and freezing your butt off every night. I really love you illustrating for us the ways in which magic is something you do have to learn and strengthen and make more crisp with experience. So true. I was brought up, you know, as practicing witchcraft with my mother, but that is not what makes me a witch. What makes me a witch is trial and error, essentially through my work. And one of the things I'm really excited about now, especially just where I am in my life and my age is becoming an elder, you know, having all these experiences that have challenged me, where I've made mistakes, where I've fallen on my face, where I didn't get it right, where the things that I was asking for were wrong or you know, through experience when you're practicing magic and witchcraft, you start to learn that, for instance, asking for wisdom is usually better than asking for a specific outcome. Yes, because you don't always know what the best outcome is necessarily. And I think when we're younger, we're always really tempted. We have these things where like, oh, I really want this. You know, I really want to, you know, go to Amsterdam and study dance. Then we get that thing. And then it's not what we think. Now I really see magic as a relationship with the divine. And a relationship isn't just something that you go to and cash in on, you know, like you don't just go to your friend or your lover and say, okay, well now I want you to take me out to dinner. Okay. Well now I want you to buy me roses. Okay. Well now I want to go to this specific movie. It's more about the way that you enjoy spending time together, you know, that just being together is reward enough in itself. If I could just interject, piggybacking off that, it's also about what you're giving, right? Like yes. there's there's a big modality of like gratitude and offering and honoring and devotion that to me is so important in witchcraft that I think gets missed from the conversation often. And you have such a beautiful through line throughout this book of learning gratitude and being humble and giving your offerings that I really, really appreciated. Thank you. And I'm still learning so much about that. And that is something that is like really featuring into my practice now, I think, especially as it's becoming more and more clear that our planet is in extreme peril. And I see witches as, you know, priestesses of the anima mundi, of the spirit of the world. Our work right now is not really about ourself. We are seeing ourselves within this larger system. We are asking how we can be of service in this system that supports us and sustains us. And at every meal, with every sip of water, with every bit of warmth that we have, which is all coming in this constant stream of gifts from the planet that we live on, and that this witchcraft is a way of offering something back to that world. And I think perhaps because I came from a lineage of trauma, I think as we all do when we consider, you know, the history of Western civilization— Oftentimes that really makes us focus on just getting our basic survival needs met, which is what I was really doing when I was younger. And also I wanted to have a life of adventure and romance and everything. And so now as I have a little more maturity, I can see that what is really rewarding is 
working in concert and collaboration and peace and relationship with the planet, with the spirit, with the goddess herself. And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. That's one of the major lessons that I learned in, in my experiences and then also in writing the book. Absolutely. That really, really comes through. And I also so appreciate what a beautiful writer you are. You and I have talked in the past about the pros and cons of both of our books being shelved under the witchcraft kind of section of the bookstore, which I love the witchcraft section of the bookstore. So no disrespect, but I also think your book could be shelved under memoir, under literature. I mean, it Mm. is so beautifully written and there's so much in here. That's just a wonderful story about a person who is conquering her demons and coming into her power that even for those who aren't practitioners of witchcraft, I think they could learn so much from. So how are you feeling now about how the book is being treated, whether as memoir or as a witchcraft book or what have you? One of the things that I've been really delighted by is a lot of the feedback that I've been getting from the book is, you know, people texting me messages or DMing me being like, I couldn't put this down. It was a page turner. It was very engrossing and riveting. And, you know, I have a master's degree in writing. So above all, even beyond the witchcraft element of the book, I just really wanted to tell a good story. And so it's really gratifying when I hear people say that I was able to accomplish that because yes. it's really, it's really hard to do. You it know? is so. so hard to do. Like as a craftsperson for you, I think this is such a triumph and, and I'll just interject again to say, not only could I not put the book down, but I was fortunate enough to get a galley which for listeners who don't know what that is, it's like the advanced reader's copy. It's not the hard copy. It's like a, a soft copy version. And there may or may not be, you know, future corrections or changes. It's a preview essentially of the book. And my galley is dog-eared. I folded down so many pages of, you know, sections that I can't wait to quote or come back to. They just meant so much to me. So big bravo just on the writing of this. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And it means so much to me, especially coming from someone like you, whose opinion I admire and respect so much and all that you've been able to do in the world and the way that I admire your writing so much and its rigor and intelligence. And and as I was telling you, I've known about your work since I saw that piece that you wrote in the HuffPo in like 2013, where I was like, who is this woman who is (laughs) telling us how it is? I was so inspired by that. But I like you, and I think that we both share this, is we're both rigorous in the way that we think and have really ambitious ways of approaching our work. And it can be frustrating to be sort of put in this witch pen where, as we know from, you know, the dominant culture just doesn't take witchcraft very seriously. And so sometimes it's hard to get the book reviewed as, I mean, I see it as a literary book and everybody who has read it, who I know has also sees it as a literary book, but to get the literary establishment to see it that way, or even to look at it because it has witch in the title, that's something that I feel like is more challenging. And you and I have talked about that, about how often, you know, when we get interviewed, 
we'll get questions like, well, you don't have warts or where's your green skin or uh, are you going to put a hex on me? And for me, I just am really done with questions like that because I feel like what witchcraft is really about and what it's really getting to is the way that, you know, women and feminine identifying people have been marginalized and our values have been marginalized. And it's a way of us reclaiming our power on behalf of the planet itself, re-enchanting the world and making it sacred, connecting to a whole history of exiles in, in literature and in the arts, such as the Medusas and the Sibylline Oracles and um, the goddesses and fairy creatures that for so many people really resonate. I wish that we could be talking about that instead of kind of like, oh, I can't believe witches exist or this woman thinks she's a witch. And I'm just like, I'm so bored with that conversation. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, witchcraft is both so radical because it offers this alternative orientation that is directly in opposition to the patriarchy, but it's also so realistic. Like, I think you and I share this notion that witchcraft is about realism, not Mm. fantasy. It's about engaging with the light and the dark. It's about engaging with the shadow and the radiance, right? Mm, Absolutely. And I also think it's about helping us have the strength to resist the values and the imperatives of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy that are constantly assaulting us and trying to get us to believe that their way is the only way. So one of the reasons why we do do spells and things for money or new cars or whatever, which I have done and still do and probably will always do, is because we live in a system where if we don't have that money, then we could be homeless. You know, if we don't do what it wants of us, if we don't strive and struggle and sweat to hustle to make it to the top of the game, then there are serious consequences for us. You know, we might not be able to pay for our retirement, which would mean that we're out on the street when we're like old and infirm. You know, there's real consequences if we don't capitulate. But the thing is, there's real consequences also if we do capitulate. There's real consequences for everyone on this planet. And so what I feel like witchcraft is helping us remember that we have other values, that community is a value, that beauty, that pleasure is our value. All acts of love and pleasure are our rituals. And we're connecting to that and remembering what that is through the rituals and the practices of witchcraft. And that's why we need to practice all the time so that we can stay connected to that because these immense and powerful forces are constantly trying to pull us away from those values. You know, our sense of eroticism I mean, our our profound connection to spirit, to other beings, we are constantly being convinced to divert our attention to other things, you know, to these hostile forces that make us think, oh, I'm not good enough. My body is not good enough. Like my, my education's not good enough so that we will buy more, so that we will struggle, so that we will hustle. And I feel like witchcraft is always pulling us back to our center. And that's why we need to do it on a regular basis. Hell yes. And on that incredible note, we're going to take another break and we'll be right back. Animal, 
She Owl makes music that features haunting sonic dreamscapes with a sensual, otherworldly voice. Each song's lyrics evoke a series of surreal and wild tales for the soul with a witchy touch. Owl hails from Europe and is created by composer and producer Yolanda Moleta. The French music site A Découvrir Absolument says that She Owl's music is, quote, for those who roam, dreaming, without regard for a compass or GPS, following only their intuition, the stars, and the spirits as the guides to a journey that is both initiatory and a work of art, unquote. So start your journey and listen to She Owl's music on Spotify and Bandcamp. That's two words, She Owl, like the animal. And you can follow their travels on Instagram at she underscore owl underscore music and visit their website www.she-owl.com for special and exclusive material. Let She Owl's music take you on a magical flight. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Amanda Yates Garcia. Well, Amanda, I could talk to you forever about your book, but I have a number of other topics that I want to get into. I want to talk about how you came to my attention, which is your appearance on Fox News on the Tucker Carlson show. And this clip of you on his show went viral. And I remember clicking on it and being so nervous to watch it because I was like, oh my goodness, this woman, she's a witch and she's going on this conservative talk show. Like she's going to get eaten alive. And not only were you incredibly articulate and strong and gracious, you just didn't, uh, to your earlier point about all the stupid questions that we get asked by the media sometimes, you just didn't bite. Like every time he went low or he was being uh, just, just ignorant, you would elevate the conversation and you would bring it back to fighting for the oppressed and fighting for the environment. Like it, it was just so beautifully done. And you made me feel really, really proud to be a witch. Ah, <laughs> thank you. So thank you, first of all, for representing us so beautifully. But also I have to say, never say never, but if I was invited by Fox News to appear, I'm 99% sure I would say no. So can you talk about what gave you the guts and the fortitude and just like the, I don't know, belief that it was the right thing to do. First of all, if you went on Fox News, I'm sure you would tear it down. Well, thank you. But I would also be nervous about the kind of energy I would attract because that not, not everybody, of course, but part 
of that audience can be really hostile to people who are viewed as whatever, progressive, feminist, Mm. witches. I think, you know, I'd be scared about what I might attract. So yeah. Can you just talk about how you approached that interview and what the fallout was from it? Like you, I was really scared. And like you, I did say no. I said no like three times, I think, three or four times before I ultimately said yes and said that I would go on it. And the reason that I said no is for all the reasons that you just described. You know, I was really terrified that I would get death threats, that I would get rape threats, that people would show up on my front door. And I even brought this up to the producers of the show when they were asking me to be on it. And I said, listen, I am worried about getting death threats. And they're like, you know, we hate it when our clients get death threats. Um, They usually stop in about a week. (laughs) Oh, my God. And in fact, I did get death threats and I did get all sorts of horrible things that came through my email box after that. And I was afraid, you know, I was nervous that somehow like my address would be out there, you know, I'm a public witch, you know, I do see people from home. So it was like, it was very nerve wracking and I would not have done it at all, except that my spirits, my spirit guys, my intuition kept telling me I had to do it. I would be asleep and I would wake up almost as if they were pulling on my clothes and they would be like, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to stand up for what you believe in. And part of it too was that I, I knew that there were things that I wanted to say and that I wanted to reframe the question. I want to fight for the things that I believe in. Like I, I want to stake a claim for beauty and love and justice in this world. And so I felt an obligation to do that because I felt like I could trust that if a witch was going to talk about these things that I thought I would be able to do it. But I was also scared and almost everyone, in fact, uh, the person that, that I was seeing romantically at the time wrote me a long letter begging me not to go on. Uh, which I'm sure came from such a place of love and protection, but also yes. fear. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So they were basically saying, you know, this could really damage your career. This could really damage you. You could be publicly humiliated. You could be actually violently hurt physically. I called up a lot of journalist friends who were like, this is a trap. You're going to look really bad. But I had two friends, two writer friends of mine who were like, I think you can take this guy. But they were the only ones. (laughs) That was one of the cases where I really had to dig in deep and trust my intuition. And as I talk about in my book, it took me a long time to get to the place where I could trust that the voices of my guides were leading me in the right direction and not just on some crazy goose chase or kind of into a pit or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also got so many really beautiful notes from conservative people too after that saying that because I was what they would say was nice. (laughs) (laughs) They said, I never knew a witch could be so nice. And it was great to see a civil conversation happening on that show. And you really made me open my mind and see that there are other possibilities. And so that was very gratifying to me. It reminded me of 
I've been canvassing for, I actually was canvassing for Katie Hill, who was recently essentially kicked out of office. Yes, and slut-shamed, essentially. Yeah, and slut-shamed. So I canvassed for her, and I went door-to-door on her behalf. And one of the things that happened in doing that was even when I went to conservative people's doors, like, they were willing to talk to me, and we'd have, like, civil conversations. And that really gave me hope because I was like, oh, if we can just talk to people one-on-one, you know, people aren't bad. It's just that they get caught up in these large systems where it permits them to behave or encourages them to behave in really bloodthirsty and ruthless ways. But often one-on-one, we can find a way through. And so I was really trying in that appearance to kind of create the sense of like intimacy and connection that I believe is necessary for our world. But it could have gone horribly wrong. But I did use a lot of magical techniques, you know, like I used a lot of charm sort of behind the scenes to try and make sure that everything would go smoothly. And also I decided while I was on there, because I watched some clips of him just kind of going for the throat of some of his guests. And I noticed that where they went wrong or where it really started to turn into carnage was if they got mad or if they got offended or if they were defensive, Mm -hmm. that he would really go for the throat. And I decided before I went on there that there was nothing that he would be able to say that would knock me off my love, my love ground, my love pedestal. I would stay really rooted in my convictions and my beliefs, regardless of what he did. And I think that that was really what what made it work. Ah, Well, you did a tremendous job. Can you share a couple of the charms that you use? Because I'm sure listeners will be curious about that. Yeah, well, so in my book, I talk about, there's one scene where I'm in Amsterdam and I talk about, you know, working at this hash bar and how I kind of was antagonistic to a lot of the, basically there were a lot of drug dealers who frequented that hash bar. And I'd been told by another woman who worked there that I needed to be really stern with them and hard with them. Otherwise they would try and take advantage of me. But what basically I learned was that one charm is to create systems of goodwill within your environment. You know, it seems obvious. It doesn't necessarily seem like a charm, but it really works like a charm when you create systems of goodwill with people around you. People will go out of their way to help you. And so I was really careful to talk to the producer and the makeup artist and the lighting people with a sense of appreciation for what they were going through, you know, also what's strange is I think everybody who works on that show is liberal or left-wing. Oh my goodness. Everybody who works behind the scenes, like they just found themselves there, you know, and they're trying to earn a living and maybe they want to like move into a different form of entertainment or whatever. But that was also really terrifying because I was like, I even got the sense that maybe even he doesn't really believe what he's saying, that it's all an act and that it's all a performance. And that really scared me because people really listen to him. Yeah. If it's all just this performance of a kind of right wing puppet mouthpiece, that's really terrifying that everybody's basing their actions off something that isn't even real, but it would not be that surprising. But so the producer, because we'd kind of established this rapport 
Tucker comes on saying, my producer told me I had to be nice to you. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> I mean, I was just using everything that I had available to me to try and make sure that I was safe in that circumstance. And of course, I created a cone of power. I made, sh- I think the grounding, the centering, calling in my protection spirits and deities and the animal guides and guardians that I work with really helped me in the sense to stay in a place where I was empowered. Because I think that if he would have sensed weakness, then that would have made me very vulnerable. Yeah. And see that too with, I think, with the reaction that I got from the public that I think a lot of those people that you're talking about and that we're sort of afraid of, the ones who will send you death threats or say, like, I'm going to behead you and, like, you know, tie you to a bed and all sorts of stuff that I, I did get, that, you know, if they felt empowered in their lives, then they wouldn't be doing that. They want to pick on people who they feel like are weak or vulnerable. And so by staying aligning myself with my spirits and my guides and my practices and my values, that that was what was able to keep me stable and strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're glad you did it. Other good things came out of that appearance, right? Yeah. So a few days later, a literary agent contacted me and asked me if I had ever considered writing a book. And as it happened, I was like working on a book at the time or I was working on this book. So that was great. (laughs) And it really helped kind of amplify my voice. So Tucker Carlson really did me a good deed, kind of despite himself, I think. (laughs) I think he did a lot to bring witches to the foreground, because I think that that segment was quite popular and contributed in a lot to a large degree to the rise of the witch. But I should also say that the reason that I was even on it was because Michael M. Hughes, who started the magical resistance and started the the spell to bind Trump, right? Yeah, exactly. So the reason that they even asked me to be on Fox News was because six months before that, when there were all these binding spells against Trump going on, my clients had asked me if I was going to do that and if I could help them do that. So I did that in this group that I had at the time called Magical Praxis. Once a month, we'd get together and do spells and rituals. And then it just so happened that six months before that, a writer for the LA Times was at one of these events and she wrote about my work. And then that's how Fox found me. So I also have to thank Michael M. Hughes and his work and for the whole magical resistance and for all the work of all the witches that are out there doing this this political magic in order to achieve justice in our culture. So certainly I was not acting alone. Right on, right on. Well, I'm so glad that the stars aligned and that you trusted your guides and your intuition, because if those were the steps that you needed to take to birth this beautiful book into the world, then I'm grateful for those steps too. I want to ask you about being the Oracle of LA. That is the moniker that you use as a professional witch. What kind of work do you do? This is your vocation now, correct? 
Yeah. So I have three different kinds of sessions that I do. I do divination work, usually using tarot and intuitive mediumship. And sometimes I also use runes or other techniques. I also do ritual work. Uh, I try and tell my clients that the ritual work that I do is for your personal healing and empowerment. And essentially, you're paying for my time to hold space. The ritual, the spells are I provide those and we talk about them and we do them together, but I don't really see myself as charging for the spell as much as it is charging for my time because my time is valuable to me and I I can't do it otherwise. But I'm making that distinction because spells are often things that require an ongoing process and I don't see myself as responsible for someone else's life, nor could I be even if I wanted to be. So for instance, like if someone's coming to me for a love spell, I think one of the things that's different between what I'm doing and maybe what people might be criticized for as being like a a charlatan or something is I'm not saying like, oh, if you come get a love spell from me, you will fall in love within three months. But we are working to open your your life up to call in the love that you want. And it might require you working through a bunch of different things. Oftentimes when we have issues related to calling in a partner, that it goes back deep into our childhood or to our family lineage. And it might be something that we're working on on an ongoing basis. But what I say to my clients is that it's really about inviting you to fall in love with your life and to feel like your problems are interesting puzzles to solve rather than crises that cause you to cry and lament. There's nothing wrong with crying and lament. (laughs) And I also do healing work. So I do trance-based healing work using breath and using sound and bells and trance work to go into the psyche and to speak with your guides or speak with your ancestors or speak with your spirits and working physically to move energy throughout your body and So these are all the things that I do with my clients on a one-to-one basis. And then I also, you know, I have my podcast, Strange Magic. Which is awesome. Sister podcast to yours uh, with Sarah Faith Godestiner and Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And I also lead a lot of public workshops and rituals and work, in a sense, as a sacred artist. So I performed at LACMA. Mocha, the Gaddy, you know, a lot of places where I'm really trying to work to collapse or erase the difference between the sacred and the arts. I feel like they're the same thing so that we're not just sort of marginalized as doing this kooky thing here off on the side. But I feel like, you know, witchcraft is returned for a reason. And so I want to uh, be a feather in the wing of that rising bird. Beautiful. 100%. And I had the excellent good fortune of getting to witness, or I suppose I should say participate in a ritual that you and Sarah Faith Godestiner did at the Witches Confluence in San Francisco. And I was really moved by, first of all, the ways in which the two of you have very different but very complimentary energy and styles 
And I thought it was wonderful to see how you wove those together. Um, But I was also really dazzled, frankly, by the way in which you call circle and hold space. It's clear that you are not only a powerful witch, but you're such a powerful performer and artist. And to underscore the point you just made, what's the difference when, when, when any of them are done with a divine and empowered and empowering intention. But the way that you call in the guardians, um, the way you hold yourself, your posture, your gestures, you do this really powerful whistling. It was so entrancing. And I just wanted to note that you have such a gift as a dancer and a performer and as a creative being in the world. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, one of the things that my book is about and that I think witchcraft is about is that our life initiates us to know what our gifts are. And so even though I couldn't have anticipated, you know, as a young person that I was going to become the Oracle of Los Angeles, you know, I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be an artist. And now I know that I wanted all those things and was cultivating all those skills so that I could feed them into this work, which I feel like is my true work in this world, which is to re-enchant the world with other witches. So I feel like any of the things that we learned as young people, you know, or the struggles that we have been through are contributing to the, the gifts that we bring to the world as priestesses. So for instance, I know you, you know, you have a strong academic background and you worked at Getty Images for a long time. So you have a really sharp visual eye and especially like an attention to what is uh, resonant in pop culture. And then you use those interests and those initiations that you've experienced to push forth in your work that really resonates and speaks to people. And so I think we all use the things that we gained when we were younger and feed them in in a very special and unique way that only we can do into our work as witches. And that's what excites me so much about the growing witch movement, this idea that being a witch is an additive. It can be supplementary to whoever you are, whatever you're doing in the world. And hopefully it just adds this shot of magic and this framework of, frankly, love and giving and generation to whatever work and whatever gifts we have. Absolutely. If our spe- not only our species, but life on the planet is going to survive, then we need to find a way to create different systems of value. For a lot of us, specifically people who come from a European background, that we've been cut off from the ancestral traditions that we've had that align us with nature or that are about creating community. And we sort of gave those up to fit into this idea of whiteness. And I think a lot of witches of all different ethnicities and backgrounds are really working to reclaim their birthright as like sacred beings who are in touch with the land and with the spirit of the land. And we're all trying to do that. And so I think it's really important that we 
do that work for wherever we are. You know, I'm here in Los Angeles and I'm doing that work for my people here in Los Angeles and you are in New York and you're doing that work there, but maybe somebody else is in Omaha or someone else is in Missoula. And, you know, that wherever we are around us, we're using whatever we have, whatever skills we have, whatever tools are just available to us there to make the world sacred again. We are doing that work and witches are called to be powerful so that we can do that work because there's so much work to be done. Absolutely. Well, I think that is a great place for us to end. Amanda, quickly, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Oh, please follow me on my Instagram feed at Oracle of LA or on Facebook at Oracle of LA. I think I'm on Twitter as Oracle of LA too, or Amanda Yates Garcia. I keep forgetting. But um, also you can go to my website, www.oracleoflosangeles.com and sign up for my newsletter. That's probably the best way so that no matter what happens with Facebook or Instagram that we'll always be able to stay in touch. And your newsletters are so beautifully written too. They're really poetic and enchanting. So I highly recommend everybody does that as well. Thank you so much, Pam. Pam, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, to witness your greatness in this world, to read your book, to listen to your podcast, to see you going from strength to strength, to speaking out for us on behalf of us witches and Time Magazine and the New York Times and all these amazing places. I am in such awe and inspiration of you and all the work that you do in the world. Thank (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm cutting you off because I'm getting embarrassed and I shouldn't have done that. But thank you so much for that generous, generous. Wow. But thank you, madam, for (laughs) this glorious book and for your visibility because you doing what you do makes me braver. It makes me feel more emboldened. And I think that's a lot of what our work is about too. Amanda Yates Garcia, thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Amanda Yates Garcia for her visibility, her vibrancy, and her beautiful magic words. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone iMessage by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time 
on the Witch Wave.